Hello and welcome to The Plants We Eat, that amazing show where you get to learn all about the plants that we use for food, history, biology, culture, just, you know, everything. Eating. Eating, yes. I'm Jeff Gilman and I'm here with Cindy Proctor. We've got a really special food to work with today, one that Jennifer Carter, by the way, recommended soy before, and she had this whole list of foods, ones that especially are um, come from Asia, and we liked the idea, so we moved forward with it. Now, the ones that we're going to work with today, again, this is sesame. And I have to tell you, uh, I was I was prepared to be bored. I was too, because, you know, sesame's on hamburger buns and, you know, sesame chicken and a couple other things. And I'm like, that's it. Right. But, but there's what, a whole world. There is a world. Yes. So let's give sesame a, a shot. I've got some of the seeds here. Try them out. Mmm. Okay. Now, you put them in your hand. That's a big mess. You need to put them in a cup because well, yeah, they're, they're so little. They're tiny little seeds. They are going to get all over the place. You're going to get and, in your um, teeth. <laughs> Just warning. Uh, they're already getting stuck in my teeth. Right. Mm -hmm. But they have a nice nutty flavor, don't you think? Definitely a nice nutty flavor. They're quite good. Um, much more concentrated flavor than I anticipated. Mike, what do you think of the, uh, of the sesame? Well, it had a kick in it or a certain taste to it. Because I'm thinking, you know, it's a sesame seed from a hamburger, so I'm thinking there's not going to be any much taste to it. But for this, for some reason, this has a little taste to it. A little bit of bitterness, a tiny bit of heat. It's more so than you expect it to be. Maybe that's the way to put it. These things are, uh, they got more oil in them than you would think. They're actually 40 to 60% oil. That's certainly part of the kick, part of what you're getting here. And um, we have some other stuff to, to taste as well. I'm excited about the tahini. Are you excited about the tahini? I am. All right, so what is tahini? Tahini is basically just ground sesame seeds. It's uh, kind of like a runny peanut butter. Tastes like peanut butter. But let me give it a taste. Okay. I haven't tried it yet. It's too bad that it's not thicker, but it, that's okay. Has a high fat content, not much carbohydrates, fair amount of protein. Mm. It's really good, isn't it? That's really good. Mm -hmm. Very much like peanut butter. But, with, but very liquidy. This provides the base for two foods that you may have heard of. Uh, one is hummus. A lot of people think hummus is just ground chickpeas. No, 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 no. It's chickpeas added to tahini. And uh, you may have heard of baba ganoush, which is eggplant. No, no, no. It's just not just eggplant. It's eggplant added to tahini. Both wonderful foods. In fact, I've got this um, two-pound drum of tahini here, which I'm going to be uh, using for baba ganoush if Cindy doesn't steal it from me, which, right. which she has threatened to do. <laughs> and then you brought these wonderful uh, candies that was like a cookie and it. it was like a gel bar. Tearing it apart is almost impossible. Well, you need to bite them. on it. All right. Tearing it is going to be hard. It's really chewy. It's covered with sesame seeds, but the sweetness helps with the bitterness. It's really good. The sweetness really works with the nuts. So, Mike, first let me get your thoughts on the uh, tahini. What do you think? I didn't know that was made from sesame at all. Mm -hmm. I heard about tahini. I never tried tahini. When first looking at it, I didn't know it was going to have a taste to it. Is it a thumbs up? Oh, it's a thumbs up, yeah. It's definitely what she described. Like, it's just, it tastes like like a really watery peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to describe it. And watery peanut butter, I don't know, when you say that, it kind of sounds bad. Tastes like watery peanut butter in the best way mm -hmm. possible. Yeah, I mean, it, definitely. I mean, it's, it's good. It's good. But it is definitely pretty loose, non-viscous. The candy I liked a lot because the sweetness really does work with the sesame. By the way, there's some peanuts in there, too. Although I think that the dominant flavor is the sesame. So in other words, anything with enough sesame seeds, it's gonna you're gonna taste that really nutty flavor. Nutty uh, bitter. Yeah. But when you say bitter, it's I'm not like turned off by it. No, it's a different type yeah. of bitter. It's not a it's not a yuck bitter. It doesn't make my mouth curl up or anything. To grow sesame is really easy. And I know you want to wait to hear about that, but uh, it's really easy to grow. It's an annual. Actually, I'm excited that you're talking about growing it from the beginning. Mike is like 
chowing down on that. I gotta ask. Pretty good. Isn't that good? <laughs> I'm very surprised about how good this good. is. Good, 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 good. Growing this, I would be excited for lots of reasons. That it, it would be great for a children's garden because of how the seeds can escape and pop out of, of its capsule. And growing it is an annual. You know, I, I think we should pause here and, and let's talk about what it looks like. Because, okay. you know something, I have to be honest, I had a vague idea of what a sesame plant looked like, but I hadn't really spent much time with it. The way this plant grows is fascinating. So tell me what, why you think it's fascinating. So it looks kind of like, and, and you correct me if you see it differently, okay. so many of you will know what a milkweed plant looks like. And milkweed plant has pods that are kind of facing upwards, okay, or at least many milkweeds do. And these pods facing upwards, they open up and release these little seeds with parachutes on them out into the wind. Sesame pods are a little bit different. They look a lot like, I think okra is the closest thing mm -hmm. I can think of. So it looks like okra seeds or okra pods facing upward, and then the pods break open and the sesame seeds... Disperse and dis fly everywhere. Well, yeah, but without, they don't have parachutes or anything. No. They're just, they look like the sesame seeds on your hamburger, and they just pop and spread out. So that in and of itself is fascinating. The, the next fascinating thing is that sesame is primarily produced in Tanzania, Myanmar, also Indian China, but the big countries are actually Tanzania and Myanmar. Part of the reason for this is that they are hand harvested. They're produced in countries that have relatively low costs of labor. They're hand harvested because they break open. And that's really important. Because they break open, mechanical harvesting would actually lose a lot of the seeds. Since the 1940s, they've been working to breed one that doesn't break open. They have bred ones that don't break open, but the ones that don't break open, unfortunately, have this really strong pod that still has to be torn open, so they're in a really tough situation. So anyway, the way that these things grow is, is fascinating, but I interrupted you a little bit. So please continue with how these things are. No, it's fine. So I love that these grow because you think of a crop, it's going to be like, what, three feet tall? Yeah. Or something. This yeah. grows six feet tall. It grows that much in one season. It's an annual, although it's labeled as an herb. And it has, if anybody's familiar with the ornamental penicetum, it has a penicetum type tubular flower that runs all the way down the stalk close to the ground. In fact, those seed pods are Explain right Explain a penicetum flower just a little bit. Tubular. Tubular. Yeah, yes. along, along Pedal. A long pedal, a really long pedal, like a shaped trumpet. like a tube that you could actually like, like a lily or something, okay. a lily flower, okay. eh, kind of. They're about an inch long and yeah. they're white and they run up and down the, the, stem, the stem and they're quite beautiful in a field. And you could have them in the garden and the children could have fun with it. You know, uh, They'll they absolutely do, grow here. Yes, they will grow here. The funny thing is, is they do not like cool weather. And they thrive in hot weather, especially the heat. And it, you need to wait almost a month after the frost is gone to start planting the seeds and uh, harvest them before they get to that. They're going to disperse everywhere stage. I mean, that full sun, I mean, but no wet whatsoever. In fact, what interests me a lot is how the United States has utilized certain areas of our country that experience drought from time to time, like Oklahoma and Arkansas. Farmers have used this crop and they're growing. It's a very deep root system. It does. It has a very deep root system, six feet tall, a very yep. sturdy stalk, and there's no care involved. Like they don't have to water, they don't have to use irrigation systems, and they do use the cultivar that was developed to withstand the machinery collection approach. Right. And uh, so that's their way of life sometimes, if not the whole time. Another part of what was interesting to me is this is a commonly intercropped plant. Let me explain mm -hmm. what that means. Very rarely do you see a field that is only sesame. Sesame will often be planted with something else. And again, this is something that can really only be done with plants that are hand harvested. Crops that are planted with sesame include uh, watermelons, peanuts, uh, mung bean. 
So there are a number of other crops that are cropped with it. So cropping-wise, it is a really, really neat crop. It's the oldest oil crop we have. It's been used for about 4,500 years. What they will often do with this is crush it and take the oil, and then the cake that's left, they'll use that to feed the animals. So I spent some time seeing how oil was removed. And this is the most interesting crop <laughs> for oil removal. Did you see camel extraction of oil? No. So camel extraction of oil is, is like the most common. Uh, no, it's not. the. I, I take it back. Once upon a time was the most common way of doing it. And by the way, this crop is from India and Africa originally. And so they had methodologies for removing the oil that were, you know, ancient, you know, 4,500 years. And the camel extraction is the most interesting. Here is how it works. You've got this basically mortar and pestle. And if you know what a mortar and pestle is, a mortar is kind of this bowl in the bottom and this pestle that goes on top and the pestle you press down, you crush the seeds and the oil comes out. Of course, you do a little bit in your hands, it's not enough. So they build this tremendous mortar and pestle. This mortar is, you know, the size of a, of a kitchen table. Then they put this huge pestle inside. And this huge pestle is not movable probably by a single human. It'd probably take two or three guys to lift this thing. Then they take a camel and they hook the camel to the pestle and the camel hooked to the pestle, the camel walks around the mortar again and again and again and again and again, slowly crushing the sesame seeds so that the oil comes out. Look it up on YouTube. It is insane watching this camel walk in circles with this tremendous pestle hooked to his back with it stuck into this mortar full of sesame seeds. It is just nuts. <laughs> I'm <laughs> you, going to. I know, I'm going to check it out. You need to. Did you know that there's uh, almost 4 million metric tons of sesame seeds produced a year? I did not realize that. <laughs> <laughs> Ton metric tons. <laughs> That's a lot of sesame seeds. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I have to tell you, the thing that I found most interesting about sesame oil, it's a wonderful oil. For fried rice, it is the best stuff in the world. Here's how it works for fried rice. Okay, I know I'm going a little bit off topic. You make your fried rice with your soy sauce, your garlic, and so forth, but you wait until about 60 seconds before you're done, and then you add the dark sesame oils. There are many different types of sesame oils. There's fresh pressed. You want the darker sesame oil that's been roasted. That has a certain sesame flavor to it. And if you add that about 60 seconds before you finish with your fried rice, you end up with this incredible sesame soy flavor that makes your fried rice. Okay. Now you know. Now I know. All right, I'm so trying that. The next most important thing about sesame oil is synthol. You're wondering what synthol is. Let me tell you a little something about people who exercise a whole lot. Yeah, Mike, you're going to have to get in on this conversation, okay? Because okay. <laughs> right. Mike, Mike is our resident weightlifter here. Here it goes. You lift weights for, I'd say, two major big broad reasons. Let me tell you two broad reasons, and Mike, you can agree or disagree with me. Okay, the first reason is because you want to uh, be strong and, and feel healthy. And the second reason is because you want to appear big and strong. I mean, and I'd say those are the two major reasons. And to draw that distinction a little bit more sharply, there are actually two types of big, powerful guys. There are bodybuilders. Bodybuilders are not necessarily all that strong, but they look totally ripped and amazing. And then you have your power lifters. And honestly, when you see a power lifter out of season walking down the street, you think they're fat. That's not fat. That is power right there. Most of us who, and I lift weights a little bit, I'm nothing like Mike, but I lift weights a little bit. Most of us lie, lie somewhere in between. And Mike, based on the way you, I'd say you're somewhere in between. You want to look good, but it's also important to you to be 
to be strong, strong and healthy, yeah, right? right? Would you say that's true? You're somewhere between those two yeah. extremes. Okay. Well, there's this compound called synthol, which is most commonly... Have you? Do you know about synthol? I know about synthol. Okay. okay. Some people abuse it, and they look ridiculous. It, so let me explain what it is. So synthol is a mixture of an oil. Uh, sesame oil is one of the most common oils that they use. It's used because it's relatively safe when injected into your muscles. It's a mixture of uh, a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of lidocaine, and a whole lot of oil. When you inject it into your muscles, it makes them swell up. Here's the thing. It does not increase your strength at all. In fact, at the extreme, it can actually reduce your strength. But it can make you look absolutely huge. Now, one of the saddest articles that I read was painful muscle fibrosis following synthol injections in a bodybuilder a case report. And basically, uh, this was a bodybuilder who'd done so many synthol injections into his muscles that they were absolutely tremendous, but he was having this terrible chronic pain. When they did a cross-section of the muscles, it looked like Swiss cheese. There had been so much, uh, so much of this stuff injected into his muscles. If you're looking for health and fitness, this is one of the worst things that you can do. You're abusing your muscles. If you're just looking to look big, I'm sad to say it can work. But as Mike was just saying, man, I did a uh, you know Google search for images of guys who use synthol. The majority of them looked just absolutely ridiculous. You could tell that their muscles were, I mean, they were practically fatty tumors. That's what they were, really, because all they were doing was injecting this oil into them. Hmm. <laughs> <That's There's... laughs> That's some desperation there. It's yeah, it's really scary, scary stuff. But it's inter- I, it would never occur to me that there would be sesame oil. Sesame inside, oil. So there were there. other oils. There were other oils that were used periodically, but sesame oils uh, were largely the ones that were used. Now, there's other uses besides making your muscles look big. <laughs> yeah, which is a good thing. You know, there's uh, some antioxidants, protein, dietary fiber, vitamins and minerals like calcium, iron, potassium, B vitamins, which is always a concern for some of us. It's a decent additive to like your salads and soups and breads. And then if you're on the keto mm-hmm. thing, it's That's a right. great food replacement. And it has low carbs, high fat, and mm-hmm. a fair amount of protein. I mean, you know, nine grams was it for two tablespoons? Yes, relatively high protein. That's a that's a decent uh, amount for in the tahini is what I was talking about. Yeah, so yeah. I'm more into this than I thought I realized I would be. Isn't it an incredible crop? It One is. that really surprised me as to its both its benefits and its you know the word for this stuff almost as much as soybean versatility. I agree. And it's easy to grow, and you can have fun growing it. When I read about it, I was thinking to myself, why aren't more people in the U.S. growing this stuff. Well, it's temperamental if you don't have dry weather and heat. It is a southern crop also. Mm-hmm. I should point that out. It needs, I think it was 90 to 120 warm days. I thought it was up to 150 even. Yeah. And then if you if we have a cool spring, then your crop or even your few plants that you want to experiment with won't right. mature well. It can be tra- temperamental that way, but it's a great looking plant. I might grow three or four of them. The six feet tall is kind of daunting. But uh, it's a it's a great little plant. Another neat thing about it, which I didn't mention before, but I think is worth mentioning now. You might not expect this, but uh, you're familiar with pyrethrin, right? That mm-hmm. natural chrysanthemum insecticide. Yes. Do you know that pyrethrin is not particularly effective at killing insects? Isn't it a contact spray for killing insects? It doesn't kill insects, though. Oh. It needs a synergist. Oh. <laughs> okay, so most commonly the synergist is, and there won't be a test on this, but it's called piperonyl butoxide. Don't worry about piperonyl butoxide. But this stuff can also be synergized. And by synergized, I mean works with the compound. It can be synergized by uh, sesame oil. 
once upon a time, it was used more commonly. It's not used much now, but this synergist actually stops the insect from responding to the pyrethrin and helps to uh, kill the insect. And without it, it is not particularly effective at killing insects. It really needs the synergist. So kind and neat. I thought you'd have fun with that. Well, you know, trivia. Sure. And I read, too, that there's the demand for sesame seed is higher than, than they can grow it. You know the biggest importer? What? Japan. Huh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's interesting. Isn't it? Okay. <laughs> I was, I was um, interested. So, yes, anyway. me too. So, hey, before we end today, you know, I've been adding little snippets of things that I think are just kind of interesting sure. at the end of the podcast. So sure. I've got one. It has nothing to do with plants, but it's something that a lot of people don't know about. And what is it? The 1836 Patent Office Fire. Have you ever heard of the 1836? Where did that come from? <laughs> it comes from nowhere. Okay. But I was thinking to myself, you know what? Everybody needs to know and they don't know. So the patent office started in the 1790s, and uh, you were required to actually build a model of what it was that you were going to patent. So they had all these models in the patent office, and they also had all these records of all of the patents that were made. Fire started in the patent office in 1836 and burned the whole thing down. All of the models were lost, or I should say the vast majority of models were lost. But here's the thing. So were most of the records of the patents that were issued. So what happened? There are still some patents that have been lost to time, but the patents that they recovered actually became renumbered. The first patent issued was number one, then number two, number three, number four. When they lost all of those patents, they actually had to renumber them, and they renumbered them as the X patents. Isn't that awesome? So when you see an ancient or an old patent from the United States and you see an X first, it means that it had to go through that renumbering system because of the patent office fire of 1836. Okay, I like this. Wasn't that a good story? Yeah, that's a good okay, story. That's, so that's my story for the end of today. I was bracing myself, but it's good. For a long, painful one. Now, yes. this was a short, interesting okay, one. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Hey, this has been The Plants We Eat. Thank you so much for listening. You know, we would actually love for you guys to get in contact with us. We have a brand new email address. It's TPWE Podcast cast at uncc.edu. Again, that's T-P-W-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at uncc.edu. We would love to hear from you, get some more suggestions. This is a presentation of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens along with College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the Isle Group. Next week, we'll be talking about uh, actually one of my favorite fruits. Passion fruit. Can't wait. We'll talk to you soon.